Good morning, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You are everything that we are not. You are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's who you are, and that's who we long to be, and that's why we're here. We want to spend time with you so that we can become more and more like you. We confess our sins to you, those things we said and did and left undone. And Lord, forgive us. We thank you that you've given us life. We thank you that you forgive us. We thank you you've given us your spirit. We thank you you've given us your word. We thank you for a chance to gather together. We thank you for food to eat and the freedoms we have. Thank you. We're a needy people. We acknowledge our neediness to you. You know our needs, financial needs, health needs, worries, relational struggles. Meet us at our place of need. As we open up your word together, may your spirit teach us and may we be so excited about what we learn today that, that we go and share with others what you teach us today. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Before we get to Genesis, we're going to take a brief stop in John. If you have your Bible, if you'd open to John 15, verse 5. If you're new, welcome. We believe the Bible is God's Word. We love to open it up together and get to know Jesus together. So in John 15, verse 5, Jesus is speaking and he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do what? Nothing. Okay. Uh, we're going to learn today that there are two tests that we face in life. There's adversity and then there's prosperity. Isn't that true? If you're on a team, don't, isn't adversity a, a test of your team? That if you lose all your games, that's a test, isn't it? But it's also a test when you win all your games. Both adversity and prosperity test a team. Uh, are you married? <laughs> there's two tests of marriage. There's adversity and there's also prosperity, right? I mean, remember your wedding vows, what? Uh, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. Both adversity and prosperity test a marriage, don't they? And isn't it true of our faith? Doesn't adversity and prosperity both both test our faith. In adversity, when we go through really tough times, we're, um, we're tested, we're tempted that we might deny Jesus and desert him, right? And then in prosperity, in prosperity, it's very easy to forget Jesus, isn't it? So to, this morning, we're going to learn that apart from Jesus, we're going to fail both these tests, but with Jesus, we can pass them both. Matter of fact, uh, the point of today's message is Jesus enables us to pass the test of adversity and prosperity. Uh, which one are you going through now? Uh, are you going through adversity? Listen, this message is going to be helpful for you. Are you going through prosperity? It's going to be helpful for you. Now, many of us, we're going through both of them at the same time, aren't we? There's things in our life where there's adversity and things that prosperity happening at the same time. Um, now, I know some of you say, well, well, wait a minute, Smiley. What is this bearing fruit? When it says that through abiding in Christ will bear much fruit, is, is that the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and faithfulness? Or is that the fruit of, of winning people to Christ and making disciples? Which is it? It's what? 
It's both, isn't it? That he's saying that if we abide in him, we will bear the fruit of the Spirit. And when we abide in him, we will be difference makers in the world. And so I think it's always good to have a picture of what would it look like, what would someone look like who's able to handle adversity and prosperity. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at Joseph. We're going to get to know one of my friends named Joseph, and he's a real picture to us of how through faith in Jesus we can overcome prosperity and adversity because he faced both. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 40. And if you're new, let me give you a little background. We've been walking through Genesis this year, and we've discovered that God has a plan to save the world. God chose a man named Abraham and said to Abraham, I will bless you and make you a blessing to all the world. And then he said in particular, one of your descendants, Jesus, would bring salvation to the nations. So the whole story of the Bible is about God blessing a people and then working through them to bring the blessing of salvation to all the nations, particularly through Jesus. We're a part of that. God's plan for us is to bless us and then to send us out to be a blessing to others. So there's a man named Joseph. He's a descendant of Abraham. He's one of the 12 sons of Israel, and God has deployed him. He has sent him into Egypt to bless Egypt because God said, in you, in in God's family, all the nations would be blessed So Joseph has been deployed to to Egypt to bless the Egyptians. And uh, to catch you up a little bit, we learned um, last week that Joseph faced adversity. He was sold by his brothers as a slave, but then he experienced prosperity. He was put over Potiphar's house, but then for doing what was right, for refusing to engage in immorality, he was thrown into prison. So he went from prosperity back into adversity. So as we pick up the story, he's in prison. We might call that, what? Adversity, wouldn't it? Genesis 40, verse 1. Then it came about after these things, the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. Joseph, when he was sold as a slave, was 17. When Joseph gets out of prison that he's in now, he'll be 30. The dreams in this story took place two years before that when he was 28. So I don't know how much time he spent in prison before the dreams came. But that gives you about his age at that time. Notice you have a cupbearer and a baker. Kings were paranoid. Do you know why kings were paranoid? They were afraid someone was going to kill them. And one thing they were really afraid of is they were going to be poisoned. So the king had a chief cupbearer. His job was to make sure the wine served to the king was safe and of good quality. And the chief baker, his job was to make sure that the food served to the king was safe and of good quality. And they offended their lord. Pharaoh was furious with the two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. What probably happened was there was an attempt to kill Pharaoh with poisoning. And he didn't know who was responsible, so he got the cupbearer and he got the baker and he threw them both into prison so he could carry out an investigation and see who was behind it. So he put them in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard in the jail 
in the same place where Joseph was in prison. Uh, so he put them in the house of the bodyguard, the chief captain. And we learned who that was last week. That is Potiphar. Potiphar was the chief of the bodyguards. Now, when you think of a bodyguard, what do you think of? Someone who's what? Big and strong. <clears throat> so that's probably what Potiphar was like. Who has bodyguards today? College football coaches, don't they? You ever watch a football game? Don't they have bodyguards? Well, at Florida, it's interesting. Florida's coach only has one bodyguard. His name, I think, is Calvin Long. You know why he only has one bodyguard? He's big. He is sufficient, right? I think Coach Mullen is quite safe with his bodyguard. And so Pharaoh would have bodyguards, and the captain, probably the strongest of them all, the captain of the bodyguard was Potiphar, and that's where Je Joseph is thrown into prison, in Potiphar's prison. So he put them in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard in the jail, the same place where Joseph was in prison. So Joseph's in prison, and now here comes the cupbearer the, the cup and the baker. And know what Joseph says? More people to win to God. Here are some new people for me to share my faith with because it didn't matter to Joseph. He had a purpose, whether he was in Potiphar's house or whether he was in prison, he had been sent by God to bless the Egyptians with the knowledge of the one true God. And he did that through the way he worked. And he did that through the way he spoke. Then the cupbearer and the baker for the king, who were confined in jail, both had a dream the same night, each man with his dream and each dream with its own interpretation. Now, dreams are a big part of Joseph's life, aren't they? That Joseph had two dreams, didn't he? And, and then the cupbearer and the baker had a dream. And later, Pharaoh will have a dream. And it's Pharaoh's dream through that Joseph would be let out of prison. When Joseph came to them in the morning and observed them, behold, they were dejected. Now, notice, Joseph went to work he looked at the people around him. He saw someone who was dejected. He says, this is my opportunity to, to really impact them with the knowledge of the one true God. He asked Pharaoh's officials who were with him in confinement in the master's house, why are your faces so sad today? <laughs> to which we expect him to say what? Well, duh. Why? We're in prison. Well, well duh. Listen, we could be executed because we're in prison. No wonder we're dejected, right? But then they said to him, we have had a dream and there is no one to interpret it. Wow. You ever pray for open doors for the gospel? You ever pray? That's what Joseph had been doing. And here was this opportunity. Here was a man who said, two men who said, listen, we have a problem we can't solve. Notice how Joseph turned it right into a gospel conversation. Uh, then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God. Tell it to me, please. He saw a need. He asked a question. When the door was open, that was the opportunity he needed to have a gospel conversation. Are we like that? Are we continually praying where we live, work, and play? Are we always observing people, looking for hurts or needs in their lives, asking them questions, and when they expose it, bringing Jesus into the conversation? I mean, that's why Joseph was deployed there, right? Didn't God say to Abraham, in, and listen, I'm going to bless you, and in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed? 
So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream, behold, there was a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. And, and as it was budding, its blossoms came out, and its cluster, clusters produced ripe grains. Now Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, so I took the grapes and squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I put the cup into Pharaoh's hands. That's what the cupbearer would do. Then Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you will put Pharaoh's cup into his hand according to your former custom when you were his cupbearer. Only keep... <clears throat> so he says, in three days, you're going to be restored. You're going to be restored and once again get to be the cupbearer to the king. But then he said, only keep me in mind. When it goes well with you, and please do me a kindness by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For I was in fact kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing that they should have put me into the dungeon. Listen, I'm innocent, innocent. Don't forget me, don't forget me. Please tell Pharaoh, please get me out of this place. When the chief baker saw that he had interpreted favorably, he said to Joseph, I also saw in my dream, and behold, there were three baskets of white bread on my head. And all the health food people in the house say, what? Boo, right? I mean, there were three baskets of white bread. And in the top basket, there were some of all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, and the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. Birds were sacred, so it wasn't unusual for birds to come and like steal people's food and they couldn't shoo them away. Then Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and will hang you on a tree and the birds will eat your flesh off you. While the, the, the baker thought, wow, it went well for the cupbearer, it'll go well with me. But it seems like perhaps Pharaoh had done his investigation and perhaps found that the baker was the one behind the poisoning. And so he, Joseph says, you're going to uh, have your head cut off in three days and, um, and be hanged on a tree. Now, some of you have an NIV and you're a little confused here because the New American said, Standard says he was hanged. But notice the NIV says uh, impaled. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and impale your body on a pole. And you say, well, how can you be hung and how can you be impaled at the same time? How about Jesus? What happened to Jesus? He what? He hung on a cross, didn't he? But at the same time, you might say he was impaled on the cross because he was nailed to the cross, wasn't he? So what we find Joseph doing is he's sharing the gospel with the other prisoners. He shares the good news with one and he shares the bad news with the other because the gospel has both, doesn't he? Verse 20, thus it came about on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants. You ever wonder where birthday parties came from? Did you, this was 1900 years BC. So 3900 years ago, people had birthday parties. Isn't, isn't that interesting? I mean, I wonder where it started, but at least 3900 years ago, people were celebrating birthdays Pharaoh through his own, didn't he? which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants and he lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. Lifting up their head meant very different things for those two people. He restored the chief cupbearer to his office 
and he put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker just as Joseph had interpreted to them. Can you imagine your Joseph? It happened just like you said. Now the cupbearer has been restored and you're saying any day now what? Any day now I'm what? Going to be set free. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph but forgot him. Know how long it was? Two years. Two years he waited. Two years he waited. Listen, Joseph went through prosperity. And Joseph went through adversity. For two more years, he would wait to be let out of prison. But Joseph models for us how to pass the test of adversity and prosperity. Joseph was faithful to God and his purpose, both in adversity and prosperity. In adversity, as he's sold as a slave. And in prosperity, when he's raised up in Potiphar's house. In adversity, when he's in prison. And he left there for two more years. In prosperity, we're going to see next week as he's elevated to second in command in Egypt. And Joseph tells us the key. He tells us the key to what enabled him to pass both tests was his faith in God. Don't we see that in verse 8? Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. It's God who has given me this ability. It's God who's enabled me to handle the test of adversity and prosperity. And that's where we started today. I mean, how can Jesus enable us to pass the test of adversity and prosperity? Doesn't he tell us? He says, I am the vine, you are the branches, he who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing, right? Now, Jesus says apart from him, we're not going to pass the test of adversity and prosperity. And the reason for that is we have a problem called sin. That's the bad news. Now, uh, the Bible says we have sin and we are sinners. So I want you to just be a backyard scientist for a moment. Uh, because I think the reason we ought to believe the Bible is because it's true. So let me ask you a question. Is there any evidence in all of history that people might have a sin problem? Is there? Is there? Yes. Let me ask you, is there any evidence? The Bible says we're sinners. Is there any evidence in the world today there's something wrong with people? Is there? Yes. How about in our own lives? Uh, our family members would affirm it, right? There's plenty of evidence in our lives that we're all sinners, isn't it? The Bible says we've all sinned against God and we're in big trouble. That's why we can't save ourselves. That's why we'll never pass the test of adversity or prosperity on our own. But there's good news. There is a Savior named Jesus. And Jesus is God who put on flesh and came to earth to save helpless sinners. Jesus lived a perfect life. He went to the cross. He took our sins upon himself. He died in our place. He really did die. He was buried. And on the third day, he rose from the grave and he offers us eternal life. He offers us the chance to do life in eternity with him. Matter of fact, the verse that changed my life was Revelation 3.20 where Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and will dine with him and he with me. I remember hearing the gospel and then really hearing Jesus say, Smiley, I want to move into you and forgive you of all your sins. Um, that sounded pretty good to me. You ever done anything wrong? Wouldn't you like to go to bed forgiven? It's so good to be forgiven. 
And Jesus said, listen, I, I want to be your Savior and forgive you and give you eternal life. And that sounded pretty good to, to me because I, I, I want to live forever, don't you? And then Jesus says, you're not doing such a great job running your own life. I want to be Lord of your life. And I can run your life better than you. And that's true. I hadn't done a very good job. And so it sounded like a good idea to me to let Jesus run my life. And I'm so glad I did many years ago, receiving him, admitting I was a sinner, asking Jesus to forgive me and to give me eternal life and to be Lord of my life. And if you've never done that, won't you? Won't you do that? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and will dine with him and he with me. Have you done that? Do you hear what Jesus says? He says, if you hear and invite him in, I'll come in and dine with him and he with me. In the Bible, dining is all about friendship. To eat with someone is to be friends. And Jesus says, I want to move into you and be friends with you. Let's do life together. Let's do eternity together. That sounds pretty good to me, doesn't it? You, you could be a friend of Jesus. And so when Jesus comes in, the way he enables us to overcome adversity and prosperity is when he moves in, he gives us an identity, an identity that's rooted in him and not in our circumstances. Isn't that true of Joseph? How did Joseph overcome adversity and prosperity, Joseph knew who he was. He said, I'm a Hebrew. He knew he wasn't an Egyptian. I'm a Hebrew. I'm a believer in the one true God. And that identity helped him in adversity. And that identity helped him in prosperity. Isn't, isn't that true of us? Who am I? I'm a Christian. Who am I? I'm a disciple, a follower of Christ. Who am I? I'm a, I'm a branch, and Jesus is the vine, and that doesn't change. My identity doesn't change whether I'm in adversity or prosperity because it's rooted in Christ and not my circumstances, right? Oh, when Jesus moves in, not only does he give us an identity, he gives us a purpose, a purpose big enough to give our lives to. He says if we abide in him and he in us, we bear much fruit. As we look at Joseph, Joseph had a great sense of purpose. God had said to him, I will bless you and make you a blessing. And everywhere Joseph went, he enjoyed God and he tried to be a blessing to others. He did it in Potiphar's house. He did it in prison. He did it in Pharaoh's house. He was blessed and a blessing wherever he went. Is that true of us? Whether we're in adversity or prosperity, our purpose doesn't change. We're here to bear fruit. We're here to bear the character of Christ for people to see Jesus changing us. We're here to win people to Christ and, and, and to make disciples. Matter of fact, look at Proverbs 11, uh, verse 30. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. Remember we started this year, we started in the garden, and there was, what was in the garden? The, the tree of life. If you're a Christian, you're the tree of life in your neighborhood. Did you know that? That you're the tree of life on your team. You're the tree of life in your office. You have been planted there by Jesus as the tree of life to offer life to people. And he who is wise wins souls. 
You see, we have a purpose rooted in Christ. It's not dependent on, on our circumstances. It, it's the same purpose in adversity. It's the same purpose in prosperity. And thirdly, Jesus provides us with hope. Hope. If you look at Joseph, Joseph was filled with hope. The reason he had hope is he had had some dreams. And the dreams told him that one day he would be someone. One day his brothers and sisters would bow down before him. So when he sold us a slave, he knew the best is yet to come. When he was in Potiphar's house and in prison and even in Pharaoh's house, he knew the best is yet to come. Have you ever read the book? Know how the story ends? The story ends with Jesus coming back. The story ends with Jesus making all things new. So in adversity, we can persevere because we know something better is coming. Even in prosperity, we know something better is coming, isn't it? So, Jesus enables us to I pass the test of adversity and prosperity because when he moves in, he gives us an identity and a, and a purpose and a hope. So that's what we've learned, and, and now we're going to respond back with how should we respond to what we've learned. The action step for this week, right out of the Bible, is to abide in Christ. Now, see that word? When the action step comes right from the Bible, you know it's a good one. Now, look again at verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches, he who abides in me. Now, I want you to know, I know that's a Bible word. We don't use that a lot, but some Bible words are really good. And I like the word abide. And you say, well, what does it mean to abide? Best definition ever is to be with a friend who loves you and stay there. What does it mean to abide in Christ? It means to be with a friend who loves you and stay there. You invited Jesus to dine with you. Know what it means to abide in him? It means what? That you would dine with him. <laughs> Greatest expression of love the world has ever seen is what? Come on. What's the greatest expression of love ever? Jesus on the cross. So let me ask you, what did Jesus do on the cross? What did he do? You know what he did? He stayed. He stayed for six hours, bearing our sins. Everybody's what? They're mocking him. What did he do? He stayed. The greatest expression of love ever was Jesus stayed on the cross until he could cry out what? It is finished. Know what the Bible says about Jesus? He loved his own who were in the world and he loved them to the end. So what does it mean that we would abide in Christ? It means that we would what? That we would stay, right? That we would stay in adversity. That we would stay in prosperity, right? We've been learning how to make disciples and, and we've learned that a disciple is what? Uh, come on, a disciple is a? Let's say that together. A disciple is a follower of Jesus. One more time, a disciple is a? We need to know that because in adversity, it's going to be hard to follow Jesus. We need to know that because in prosperity, it's what? It's going to be hard to follow Jesus. And then we've been learning that, well, what does that look like? And we've said that a disciple has, or has three great loves, right? That we love who? Jesus. We love 
Jesus. Let's say that. Jesus. And then we love who? One another. Say one another. And then we love the lost. Let's say that lost. Oh, let me ask you. Do you plan on staying with Jesus? Do you? Do you plan on staying in adversity and prosperity? Do you? Um, the greatest love we can express to Jesus is by staying with him uh, in, in the good times and, and the hard times. Remember when Jesus was here on earth, he said some things that were rather difficult and a lot of people walked away. When it gets difficult, do you, do you plan on walking away? Listen to this. this. This is so powerful to me in John 6, verse 66. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and we're not walking with him anymore. Uh, haven't we all seen that? Haven't we all seen people who once walked with Jesus, friends of ours, and now they're not with him anymore? That's what happened then. And so Jesus said to the 12, you do not want to go away also, do you? Are you guys going to go too? And I love what Peter said. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom should we go? You have words of eternal life. Where are we going to go? Did, did you know we're all going to die? Why would you ever leave Jesus? You know why? He has words of eternal life. Stay with him. Stay with him in adversity. Stay with him in prosperity. Where are we going to go? You have words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. I mean, once you believe, how can you unbelieve? If you know him, how can you unknow him? But it's not always going to be easy. That's why Sunday morning is precious. That's why gathering small group is precious. That's why getting up in the morning and spending time with Jesus is so precious, so that we stay with Jesus and, and love Jesus. So, listen, stay with Jesus, will you? A disciple loves Jesus. He stays with him. A disciple loves one another. He stays in fellowship. Uh, I've really enjoyed this year. We've been reading through the New Testament at the same time we've been reading through Genesis, and I've been shocked at how, quick, how closely they parallel each other. And so this week we were reading in 1 John, weren't we? And it was so good. And in 1 John chapter 3, verse 13... Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world, what? Hates you. And you're, you're saying, well, why would the world hate me? Um, I want to give you a term, really important term. The term is evangelical. You've heard that before, right? They're an evangelical Christian. What that means is two things. They're both important. It means that someone believes that salvation comes through faith in Christ alone. Salvation comes through faith in Christ. Do you believe that? And then secondly, it's that the Bible is the word of God. It has authority. Do you believe that? If you believe those two things, you're an evangelical. And if you believe those two things, guess what? You're going to be hated in our culture. Why? Because when we teach that there is one way to God, and that's through faith in Christ, our culture will hate us because they will say what we are intolerant. Are you ready for that? And not only that, but... When you believe the Bible, you will be hated. Matter of fact, listen to what Jesus, when Jesus prayed for us in John 17, notice how he prayed for us. He knew we would be hated, and he says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. Are you ready for that? 
because they're not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Know why the world will hate us? Because we are a people of the book. The world will hate us because we are a people of the book. I've not prepared you well for adversity, but I want to better prepare you for what's coming for adversity, okay? We will be hated because we are a people of the book. There is a moral and spiritual tsunami that's sweeping across our country, and the only thing that stands in the way is the people of the, the book. The people who will stand against the tsunami and say, the Bible says. Are you ready for that? The Bible says that God created us. The Bible says that God created us male and female. The Bible says that God made marriage a man and a woman. The Bible says that sex belongs in marriage. Oh, the reason we want to love each other is because the world will hate us. And we need a place to gather together with like-minded people who love Jesus and believe in the Bible. That's why this is so precious. So notice how he moves from the world hating us to how important it is that we love each other. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. Now, how do we know we're Christians? What does the Bible say? How? Because we, what? Love one another. He who does not love abides in death. That if someone doesn't love his brothers and sisters, the Bible says he's not really alive. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Uh, we live in such a nuanced culture, don't we? But the Bible is so what? It's, it's blunt, isn't it? Do you hear what it said? Don't get mad at me. I didn't write it. It says whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. How many people I've met who said, oh, I love Jesus. I just can't stand his people. What does the Bible say about that? What does the Bible say? That they don't know him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. We can only love when we've been loved. And we can only love to the extent that we've been loved. And when we understand that Jesus stayed on the cross until he cried out, it's finished, that's what enables us to stay with one another even when we drive each other crazy. Because Jesus said loving one another is the evidence that we know him. That loving one another is the proof to the community that we're his disciples. Are you planning on staying? It won't be easy. Oh, disciples love Jesus. They love one another and they love the lost. Listen, that's why we're here. We're here for others. We're going to worship in heaven. We're going to fellowship in heaven. But the one thing we do now, we won't do then, is be able to win lost people. Matter of fact, the last command Jesus gave in Acts 1, verse 8, <clears throat> Jesus said to his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. See the word power? Every Christian's given power. That's dunamis. And the power's in a person, the Holy Spirit, for a purpose. Know the difference between the New Testament and the Old Testament? No one big difference? 
In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was only poured out on a few. But in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is poured out on every believer. Why is that? Because every believer is empowered by God to be a witness. The Holy Spirit is given to us to give us a love for lost people and the boldness to speak up about him. Um, when, when you look around St. John's County and you see them building homes everywhere, how do you respond? Do you respond, crud, they're ruining our community? Do you say there's going to be too many people, I won't be able to get on the beach? Or do you say, Jesus is bringing tens of thousands of people to us who desperately need Jesus. Do you say, how can I reach them? How can our church reach them? I want you to know, we have a plan to reach them, and the plan is you. We want to equip you to reach people where you live, work, and play because Jesus is bringing them all to us. And you say, well, what can I do? You know what you can do? You can pray. You can pray, Holy Spirit, give me a love for lost people. Give me a boldness to speak up, will you? You can pray. You can pray for the people where you live, work, and play that God would open up opportunities for you to share with them. You can pray. Know what else you can do? You can bear the fruit of the Spirit. If your life overflows like Joseph's did with joy and faithfulness, you'll have opportunities to share. How about joy? If someone asks you this week, how are you doing? You say, man, I'm rejoicing. How can anybody rejoice now? What if you said, well, my best friend told me, rejoice always. And you know, that advice, that's just a life changer to rejoice. Would you like to know more about my best friend? His name is, help me, what? Jesus, isn't it? Um, let me ask you a question. Who... Who do you know who, who needs to learn, hear what we learned about today? Do you know anybody in adversity? Do you know anybody who's really upset maybe about the elections or they're really upset about their... You know anybody who thinks they're in adversity? Wouldn't they love to hear what you have to say? Hey, could I share with you what we learned in church on Sunday? We learned on someone, there is someone, a friend of mine, who can help us through adversity. Would you like to know more about my friend? Or, or, or maybe... Maybe you know someone and you're watching them and their life is being undone by prosperity. Listen, wouldn't they love to hear what you've learned this week, wouldn't you? Won't you go to, hey, you know what we learned in church on Sunday? That prosperity is way more test of a test than is adversity. But we learn there's someone, a friend of mine, who can help us with prosperity. Would you like to know more about him? Almost done. I have... Um, I have loved Jesus for a long, long time, and, and, and I haven't made the progress I would like to have. But no one thing I've done right, I've what? I've stayed. And I want you to know I'm, I'm a pastor, and, and I've been a pastor for a long, long time, and I love God's people, but I haven't loved them as well as, well as I like. But you know what I've done for a long time? I've what? Help me, what I've stayed. Will you? Will you stay with Jesus? Will you? In adversity and prosperity? Will you stay in his body in adversity and prosperity? You know what? I've, lo I've loved lost people for a long time and, and, and I've won many, but not near as many as I would like to have. But know what I have done right? What? I've 
stayed. Will you? The greatest expression of love is to stay. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so glad that you came to seek and save sinners. Thank you for staying on the cross until you could cry out, it is finished. And thank you for rising from the dead to prove that you had conquered sin and death for us. Listen, if you hear Jesus knocking on the door of your heart and you want to receive him as your Savior and Lord, won't you where you are just tell him, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And I want you to come in and be my Savior and forgive me and give me eternal life. I want you to be Lord of my life. Help me be the person you want me to be. Well, if you've done that for the first time, won't you mark it on your card? We'd love to celebrate that with you and help you grow. Jesus, for those of us who've invited you in, thank you for moving in and giving us an identity and a purpose and a hope. Holy Spirit, help us to stay with Jesus. Holy Spirit, help us to stay with one another. Help us to stay involved in the mission of of winning lost people. And Lord, I pray this week that you would send us out to share with others what you have taught us this week. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.